And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Join Robert and me May 2nd to 4th in Phoenix for Creator Economy Expo. When you register at CEX.events, use code TOM, Tom, to save 25%. We'll see you soon. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 319 of This Old Marketing for Thursday, April 14th, 2022. And with me, as always, my friend, my colleague, and you know, a guy who's also not buying Twitter, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Holy smokes. <laughs> Did this blow up? <laughs> Am I the only one that's not putting a bid in? It seems like it's that, just I a think cascade. That is. I think, yeah. It's a cascading effect. I think of, you are. I think you're only the, the the only one who's actually not going to join the, the board of Twitter. I know we're, we're going to talk about it on the first. I mean, it's sort of breaking news. It is breaking news. Literally happened this morning that, well, what I thought we were going to be talking about, what I have in my show notes, is, of course that uh, uh, Elon would not be joining the board yes. of Twitter uh, because they all of a sudden saw the job description and went, ah, shit, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and now it seems like he's not getting taking his marbles and going home. He's, he's really going to, I mean, I, you know, who knows if this is a bluff or if this is, I mean, because he's going to have to come up with a lot of cash to, to, to do this and, there's dis, you know, there's disagreement on how liquid he actually is to be able to be able to pull something like this off. But you know, if he can come up with forty billion dollars, then he, maybe he maybe he can do it. I think the whole thing is ridiculous. I mean, did you see the poll that he put out? The, I mean, he put many polls oh, out. Oh, it that was were deleted. awful. The one he said, it was, "Yeah, what, are you for or against Twitter's name and taking out the W?" Yes, I mean, is he just a man child? Like what? I'm, he is a total man child. I mean, the childishness of this. I mean, he also, he also put in there that there was something else that was just as stupid. It, you know, uh, you know, uh, it was just oh, the about uh, he was gonna it was be lit right because he was making reference to basically everybody smoking weed yeah. and that whole thing. It just, I mean, it's just. But but I you know, can't I, but I can't uh, you know make rockets that are going to go to Mars or anything. So the guy, well, that's the guy true. I mean, but, but. of course. I mean, it, it is it, he is without a doubt one of the most innovative and productive entrepreneurs of the 20th century. In, in all, there should be I in mean, history. Just, you could say, with, yeah. I mean, you say. can't disagree with that. However, having said that, he's also you know he. I think he fashions himself after kind of a Howard Hughes sort of idea, this sort of weird, iconoclastic, uh, strange sort of, you know, I mean, but he's just, he's coming off as a Superman villain. I mean, it's yes. just, it's just ridiculous, the sort of childishness and ridiculousness that he's going about things. And quite honestly, it's because the SEC is so toothless and hasn't done anything about it that he just keeps daring, you know, I mean, the other breaking news story is the number of lawsuits that came out from shareholders uh, and, you know, and, and do all of that. And and it's just crazy. I mean, it, you know, as uh, 
Prof G, who I love his podcast, said he is he he adds nothing but disruption and no value. I mean, it is it is, and it's crazy that yep. if you read the replies to all those tweets that were going out from his throngs of fans, you know, they're all piling on. They're all yeah, they're all piling onto this but, thing. And and you know what? It's bad for it. The the what who I feel really bad for is is Twitter. Yes. Is you know the the people who actually work at Twitter and who are trying to make it a great thing and who are trying to pull it out of the you know the doldrums that it's been in as you noted last week on the show the doldrums that it's been in since its IPO and 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 make it a thing right make it a real thing and and that has this has to just be you know you just have to come into work every day and go oh for crying out loud what do I have to do well, I only right? listened uh, to the first I don't know what it was five minutes of the Prof G podcast that released today, Thursday, as we record yeah. this. And he was, I mean, he's basically touching on what you're saying. It For the last two weeks, it's probably been nothing but a distraction to the entire organization. And they're having to put out fires and answer questions all because of what Elon is doing. And it's not helping Twitter at all. So they're just wasting yeah. time with this. By the way, you know, this goes to my theory on human aptitude. Do, do you know my theory on this? I, I would love to hear it. I'm sure you know this. I, I, I've been working on what to call it. But basically, my idea is that every human being has the exact same amount of talent. You, you, you can't get any more talent than a certain level. And every human being has the same. It's just in different areas. So I would say, like you and I, you know, we have equivalent. We're not amazing in anything and we're not horrible in anything else. We sort of uh, along the mean of we can do lots of things okay. And that's our talent. And then you get, you know, and this actually goes to because I've, I've hung around quite a few kids with autism, and you see that not very good at social interaction, but off the charts when it comes to counting and numbers and engineering and those types of things. So they're way low in one category, but way high in another. This is exactly how I look at Elon Musk. He's like off the charts when it comes to engineering and innovation and strategy. And then when you look at like actually being an adult at <laughs> and maturity level and you know the ability to create chaos, it's at a different level altogether. So we all so we you can say Robert Rose has the same amount of talent as Elon Musk. It's just distributed differently. That <laughs> is my theory. And by the way, yeah. I think it holds up. I absolutely think I, I've looked at I've done I've done this had this conversation with many people and we'll say, Oh my god, that musician, just just unbelievable musician. Uh, I've never heard anything like it, can just listen to something and play it. And this is just the, the greatest thing I've ever seen. But they they can't cross the street. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You've been around people like I this? I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm I'm going to have to put some thought into your theory here. I, I think it's very interesting. I mean, it's like the William Gibson uh, quote, right? The future is already here. It's just not very evenly distributed. Yes. And job. and so, uh, I, you know, I so my, no, just that when, as soon as you said it, I that my gut said, oh, I like that. I think that's very interesting. But then I start thinking, well, what what are the so what you have to come up with are what are the beakers, right? What you know, what are the beakers of fluid of talent right. that that you know? Wh where are the categories, right? That that get distributed. But I think about that when, so when I'm around somebody and clearly they're deficient in something, I try to go to the positive and I say to myself, 
they must be amazing in something else. I wonder what that is. That's where I yeah, look at the That's interesting, yeah. Because right. when you that's see, right. like when I'm around a, you know, a beautiful child who just has, you know, has some issues, um, doesn't like being around other human beings, you know, gets confused over certain things, definitely doesn't want to communicate. I look at them and I just wonder, they must be just amazing in something. I wonder what that is and how do we unlock that? That, that's so that's that's what <laughs> right. I that's what I look at. So anyways, I think there's something there. You there. Go. That's so, a very interesting. So we need idea. to plot there's... Elon Musk. We could call it the Elon Musk theory. No, of let's not. Let's not because human no. aptitude. I mean, no, no. Let's not. <laughs> let's 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 not let's not bring his name into it. Yeah. So I, yeah. speaking of other things, did you see? I didn't even know if you were going to cover it, and I'm totally totally stealing your thunder here. But did you see that Jack? Dorsey's tweet went for, did you see this whole NFT tweet thing? I did see that, where Jack Dorsey's tweet was, they put it up for $280 million or something, and it sold, no, 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 no. they $40 million, and it sold for $280 yeah, so or the, something like so that. So a little history, so Jack Dorsey's first tweet on Twitter was packaged as an NFT and sold for $2.9 million last year. And That's right. the, uh... It says crypto. I'm looking at a Coinbase article right now. It says crypto entrepreneur Sina Estavi. I think that's how it's pronounced. Okay. So, so that person bought the NFT for 2.9 million, listed it for sale for 48 million dollars last week. Said he said that they were going to give half of it to charity, and the top bid went for get this 280 dollars. Right. <laughs> right. What do you do yeah. with that? <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I mean, how much? And what was the original purchase price? Two point nine million. Two point nine million. So that's a loss. That's that, a little you, you bit can, of a loss. <laughs> it's a, uh, that's a loss. It's a, yeah. it'd probably be a that, good tax loss. I, it is. I tax was time. just about to say, yeah, that it may be. It may have been done purposely to sort of be able to write off some of the other losses that. Cena, but I don't think uh, I don't think Cena sold it for the two eighty. So not going to get the the two point eight. Nine nine million <laughs> yeah, right. dollar nine. loss. No, I'm, right, I'm exactly. To show, uh, yeah, for for whatever. But it's just yeah, the crazy times we live in. But uh, it, it is absolutely anything else nutty. going on with you before we we start the show. We already started the show. I think we're oh, yeah, we we're did, we did. We sort of jumped into things today. We you know with the breaking news of of Elon and his shenanigans uh, as it comes out. And, and who knows? By the time that this comes out tomorrow, there may be more. To talk about, well, let me rephrase that. There certainly will be more to talk about because at that point, Twitter will have to have responded, um, and we'll see if they take the offer. I mean, you know, uh, what we'll link to obviously in the show notes is the you know many news outlets that are covering this, including the New York Times and Bloomberg, etc. That are all, you know, it's a real offer. Like it was really filed, and 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 it's a real offer of. Uh, 54% over the closing price on the day before he took his big investment, which I think is like $54 a share or something like yeah, that. Yeah, 54.20, um, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, oh, right. Well, of course it's 54.20. Of course it's 54.20, right? I mean, Do you God. see how he did that? Oh, uh, good Lord. I mean, you know, the, the weird thing is, I, I, don't you imagine, like, whoever it is that writes up the formal thing, 
when he, you know, he texts whoever that is and says, I want it to be 5420, he, 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 smiley face and probably the emoji of a yes. somebody smoking weed or something. And the eye roll that the person who has to write that, it's like, oh, for crying out loud, what am I doing? Am I, what, what am I doing with my life, you know, that I have to sort of... Uh, yeah, anyway, says, thank God yes. I'm, on, I'm on the first floor and these windows don't open. That's exactly what that, <laughs> right. Exactly. What, the, what, did, what did I get into? Because the person that's doing that deal is probably yeah. incredibly smart when it comes to those types of things. And saying, oh, of, of did, course, did I yeah. actually put myself right. in this situation? Right. I actually went and got a college degree Are for you this. Kidding me? Yes. Yeah. I don't think it's going to happen though. What what are the odds? Are we, are we I think it's I. You know what? I I think it's uh it's a little less than even odds. I would put it at forty something percent that it happens because I don't think he's that liquid. I don't think he can. I don't think. I mean, it's a horrible investment. It's a. I mean, from an invest. I mean, now look. It you know, uh, it the the total investment that he has so far is less than you or I would spend on a laptop. So it's you know. It's meaningless to him in the scheme of life, but if you were to take it over, it becomes a little more meaningful, and he would have to make some moves to do this. There was one, there was one uh, sort of conspiracy theory that I saw that said this is the way that he can pull some money out of Tesla without tanking the Tesla stock. Um, and you know, and and of course, the you know the other thing that we should note here that's covered in the story is that he he wants to take Twitter private, which is. You know, at this point, just an awful idea, right? It's just, I mean, it, there's there's so much wrong with the investment side of this that it would just, I think it would tank the stock personally, um, which may give him the opportunity to take it private, but then that doesn't help very much. And, you know, I mean, I guess he's, his idea is that he's going to turn the company around and give it free speech and all the things, you know, that uh, anyway, well, get off on a rant there. But but the point is, is that I think this is, I think this is his way of bluffing his way to selling his 9% in a pump and dump scheme. You know, it's it, this, by the way, this is exactly what he did to Dogecoin. This is exactly what he did with Bitcoin. Yes. This is, so this is a this is a well-worn path for him. Go invest, make a huge investment, pump up the stock, get it up there, make a big bluff that he's going to take it over which pumps up the stock even more. He goes, "Ah, oh, I tried, sells his 15% stake and makes, you know, 3 or 4 billion dollars in the process." So, you know, it's ridiculous. Well, for this this type of a company, and we all know Twitter is you know, they have a terrible business model, but they have a lot right. of influence. Maybe as much influence as anything else out there, right? So it's very valuable to a lot of people. You want a strategic buyer here. You want a media company, which is now removed. That is now exactly. Removed you don't from want the a equation. figurehead. So what I would what I would love to see is that because there's, in my opinion, still undervalued because because it of still course. hasn't been monetized correctly. So if and who knows what's going to happen if there's going to be a bidding war or something. But he if he comes out with fifty four dollars a share, I would love to see a Disney, an Apple, Amazon, something some other organization that has other assets to put to bear on this come in at a higher price and take this thing out and let Elon be Elon. Because you don't want to yeah. do it. Like, look at Facebook, Meta, right now. They're having a lot of problems simply because they have a figurehead like Zuckerberg. Yeah. If you removed a Zuckerberg, now, you can go back to Apple. We can say a lot about how amazing Apple was with Steve Jobs, but I think Apple as a company is better without Steve Jobs there. 
it runs more like an organization. Doesn't mean there's as much innovation coming yeah. out. But if you right. look at how that the predictability of the organization and how it runs, it's been better. Oh, Tim Cook has done an amazing been job better. with that company. And I yeah. think because yeah. he's just taken that back seat and said, I'm going to run it like a normal CEO and I'm not going to be a figurehead. That's right. That's right. So, by the way, on our uh, on our Discord over here, Heath Dingwell, um, good friend of the podcast, says you can buy a lot of breadsticks from Olive Garden for what Elon Musk <laughs> is going to put in. <laughs> if those people who listen to our podcast, last well week. done, Heath. That is that's 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 good comedy right there. Is what yeah. that is. That's that's good stuff. I in particular. All right, let's get to our show. Garden thing, and now I want some breadsticks. Yeah. But yes, let's get do. to our show. Um, and what we're going to talk about, because we actually do have a lot of other news, or really some fun news for this episode. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about CNN Plus, which of course launched in the last couple of weeks and has been CNN Minus so far, already in the red, and there's talk about what may happen to it as Warner takes control of the company in the big merger that happened, of course. Um, we'll talk about Coinbase, and it's ready for its uh, Mr. DeMille close-up, and it will make a series of short films using the Board Ape Yacht Club as its source. Insert eye roll here. Uh, we'll talk about Meta, a.k.a. Facebook, of course, and its announced new creator platform in the metaverse and how it's going all Tony Soprano with creators with a vig of almost half of the revenues. Uh, and if time, we'll talk a little bit about a new social media network called Be Real and how it's growing exponentially with the young folk uh, and what the opportunities may be there for all of us. Joe will have some commentary in his rants and rave section on a presentation he gave recently to B2B marketers. And I... <laughs> big, huge surprise here. I'm going to rant on a recent research report on customer and data privacy. Uh, is, so, wait, is this, good show. Is this the sixth or seventh rant on that particular this, topic? I, this has to be the 24th rant, I think, you know, I mean, on, on this particular topic. This actually is a little bit of a different take, only, you know, I'm not going to be ranting necessarily about customer privacy. I'm going to be talking about eh, the kind of the dark side of content marketing, um, which is, you know, I mean, I don't know if it's dark side or not. It may Maybe just a contrary opinion, but you know, I'll let the audience decide based on my my little. Well, bit it's of unfortunate a rant there. they have to wait so long for this. So that that is true. I guess they could that always fast because, forward, but then you could miss you know an Olive Garden reference, and you'll miss all the stuff that nobody wants to miss the Olive Garden references. That's that's <laughs> that's what we got to figure out a way to. to there's some, there's something there. There's something really there that uh, we could yeah, do an episode from an Olive Garden. You know. No, but I mean with the Twitter valuation and the Olive Garden, it's like there's there's there. Uh, yeah, I okay, don't know. well we'll we'll think yeah. about it because there's a we'll, long we'll way to go. We that. don't know if the fifty four twenty is going to make. We it don't. Yet. Yeah, we don't we'll know. See. Basically, the headline is Elon Musk buys the equivalent of an Olive Garden. Okay, uh, let's get with our first let's story, see. which is of course about CNN and CNN Plus. Uh, which this uh, comes courtesy of Axios. Uh, and the news is that big cuts are already coming for CNN Plus after its slow start. Investment and projections for CNN Plus, by the way, CNN Plus being the new streaming network that CNN has launched uh, over the last couple of weeks. Uh, and the projections for it are to be cut dramatically in response to a very low adoption rate, two sources tell Axios. The news giant was initially planning to invest around a billion dollars into the service over the next four years. 
years. Hundreds of millions of dollars are expected to be cut from that original investment total. To date, around $300 million has been spent, and the new company's leadership team still has yet to decide the ultimate fate of CNN Plus, uh, said, and the new boss, Chris Licht, I guess is his name, will start May 1st. So the new guy hasn't even started yet, and he's already having to deal with layoffs. Um, That is crazy. Uh, This is my favorite part of the story. CNN executives with help from consulting firm McKinsey, because, you know, every time McKinsey's name comes into the thing, that's always good news. (laughs) Um, CNN executives with the help from consulting firm McKinsey originally expected to bring in around 2 million subscribers into the U.S. in the uh, service's first year. Uh, and 15 to 18 million after four years. They originally planned for the service to break even after the four years, uh, and they have not achieved anything close to that. Uh, the article goes on to explain a little more detail, but not a lot more detail about what's going on. I, you know, I, I think any one of us could have called this from the beginning that, you know, people aren't going to pay five bucks a month for news. I just don't think they're without ads, right? I mean, it's just. I, well, I, I don't think they're going to do that. What do you, I mean? Do you do you feel differently? There's many. Well, I have many takes on this one. All First right, of all, yeah. let's talk about your point. There is, yes, is there a possibility that the regular consumer out there won't either won't pay for news or just won't pay any more for stuff? I mean, there's just they're just paying a lot for stuff. I mean, they're paying for HBO Max, they're paying for Apple, they're paying for Netflix, they're paying for Prime, they're paying for all kinds of stuff, and they're at a point now where you're looking at it saying maybe we shouldn't be paying for all this stuff. Maybe we should cut back, and I don't want to add another one. So that's a possibility. I think the real issue, Robert, is the fact that I don't know outside of commercials, is it really that differentiated? What are you really getting? With CNN right. Plus or CNN Minus, as you put it, which I thought was hilarious because that's already called the episode yeah. CNN Minus, and you just came yeah. right right out and said it. But regardless, there, there's there's two things that really uh, was were interesting here. They talk about the break even after four years. That numbers we should talk about. That's really important because we talk about it in media, knowing that it takes three to four years to really get to a somewhat profitable level for a media enterprise. And a lot of content creators and content marketers don't realize that. But I think the bigger thing is, it's only been like two weeks. Right? Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, yeah. to your point, the, the boss hasn't even started yet. And they're right. already, most of the marketing hasn't even gone out yet. And they're saying, ah, oh, we're done. Two weeks, the projections aren't working. I'm like, are you kidding me? You didn't go into a soft launch mode and build up with marketing over months and months and months. You said, ah, we'll see how the numbers look in seven days. And if they don't look good, we're just going to give up on this billion dollar plus investment we made. I can't believe that. Well, to be fair, this is Axios writing in this with this as the angle here. I don't know that we've actually heard uh, anything from CNN Plus, other than the fact that the investment has been cut, and what they're saying, what what CNN is saying, I guess, if I'm reading between the lines here, is basically saying, listen, if you cut the investment, cut the growth expectation. Um, and so, I what we can't forget is this all comes in the context of Warner, uh, which of course owns CNN, uh, being. Uh, put into the new sort of Discovery Warner Media conglomerate that is now uh, as part of that merger. And, you know, as is usual in a merger of this size, 
they've basically, you know, they've frozen hiring. They've frozen sort of new spending on all stuff. And so I think what you're looking at here is somebody at the upper levels going, you know, okay, everybody take a breath and hold on. Let's find out where money is getting spent right now and let's figure out what we, because the, the, the critical thing here is, is that, you know, I mean, this is my take on this anyway, is that once this merger is complete, you're going to start seeing the Discovery Warner conglomerate start to just throw off some of this, some of this stuff and sell it because there's so much debt here that they have to get right with the right business sure, model they need, they need and cash. they need, they need cash in the worst way. And so, you know, basically it was just a bad time for them to launch, right? It was just a, it was just a bad time for them to launch cause it's like they're getting new bosses. And so it, they may be the, you know, it, it, the, 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 the funny thing is, uh, is that they may be just a victim of the timing of the merger and, you know, and the fact that interest rates are going up and all those kinds of things. And it's like, yeah, it's just a, it's just not a good time to, to yeah. launch a new subscription-based service and something that's not going to break even for four years. Or maybe it is, and we just need to cut the expectations that it's going to be, you know, 15 or 18 million subscribers in four years and just basically cut the investment. You know, just make it a nice, small, little thing. Um, and, or let it you know, grow and, organically. And call it a day. Yeah, let it grow yeah, organically. right. Exactly. And just and just make it profitable. Don't worry about making it like a juggernaut here. But it looks like so I think what you're what you're saying is correct about this merger is going on. A lot of the marketing was cut and why they didn't stop the launch or postpone the launch because there wasn't any as much marketing to go along with it. This is a great I mean, I talked about this this uh, this week in my presentation that I gave. I said, if you're not prepared to spend on marketing of your content, you might not want to create the content in the first place. What do you, I mean, how are you right. going to get it out That's there right. if you don't already have the audience? Now, CNN does have the audience, but I'm under the assumption that they were going to put out you know, feelers to everywhere. So you'd see this thing all over the place so that they could hit the numbers and get, you know, get a solid start on numbers moving forward. But you know, the fact that if they just said, okay, we're going to launch and we're going to pull back marketing, boy, that just set them up for failure. Exactly. I mean, and let's be clear here. If they, if they get the original projection of 2 million subscribers in the first year, you know, if they can get 2 million people to sign up for this thing at five bucks a month, that's $120 million a year. I mean, that's not a, you know, I mean, it's probably not what they have in mind for sure, but it's a real business. You know well, I mean? it, so re- you you were you were uh, making fun of McKinsey there. Let's say McKinsey did come out and said, right. "We think it's two million subscribers in the first year." If you're CNN yeah. executives, you're saying, "Let's take forty percent of that. Let's go eight hundred thousand or something like right. that, and then let's take these four year projections down to you know, five to seven million, and it'll be a nice sized business." And you know what? If we see the upside, great. You know who did that really well? Right. Disney Plus. Yeah. I mean that's a fifty million dollar business, right? I There's mean, nothing wrong with that. But then yeah, you'll then you know. then it gives you the opportunity to sell a great story. Then you've got media coming after it. Said, "Oh my God, CNN Plus above expectations. This is great. It feeds on yeah. its own marketing, whatever." And that's exactly what happened with Disney Plus because they set initial numbers that I thought were very reasonable, and then they just overshot them and just crushed it. And of yeah. course, then people started to sign up and whatever. What are they doing? Hamilton's out. The whole thing. And there you go. 
the big success. Yeah, that could, and that, so that could be the story here. That could be the sort of story behind the story is, is that all of this is purposeful by the new leadership to sort of, you know, reset expectations. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Which, that, which would that, be, that's very interesting. Which would be smart yeah. if they did that. It's too bad they just didn't do it upon launch because then they wouldn't have to go through all this and Axios writing yeah. these stories. Exactly. Wow. A, st- a, a strategy. I mean, f- fancy that. Um, well, the, all right, let's move. Just, uh, last yeah. thing, if you've been to a corporate budget meeting, this is that's how it works. Because the the oh, C level you always push yeah. for whatever they want the most, the most that's because it. they want to go in with the best looking budget that they can for. It's called sandbagging. Exactly, called, and if you're we a call publisher, yeah. <laughs> you go in and you you yeah. basically say, "Oh my God, it is going to be the toughest year ever. We got all it's kinds gonna of issues. It's going to be awful. Yeah, this is going to be bad." And then you yeah. give a little bit up, but it's not to the point where you thought you were going to be, and everybody's happy. So that's it's right. It's not lying. That's right. It is a little sandbag. No, it's not lying. But that's what no, you it's do. A, as, that's what you do. As I used to tell all, as I used to tell all my managers, you always tell them how much you're going to sweat, and then you never let them see you sweat. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. All right, let's move on let's to the next story, which is another fun one, um, just full of full of good stories this week. Um, the headline here, and this comes from Fast Company, but there are a number of places that are covering this. Uh, Coinbase, of course, the crypto trading platform startup, is making a crowdsourced film trilogy with the Board Ape Yacht Club because it's been about ten minutes since Board Ape Yacht Club has been in the news. Uh, and the story opens up: Board Apes are everywhere, and boy are they! T-shirts, Twitter handles, beer cans, and just about any other type of merch that members of Board Ape Yacht Club can dream up for their exclusive NFTs. We covered the. The fun burger joint, uh, which of course launched uh, last week, and there was tweeting pictures about that. It looked kind of fun. Um, anyway, now Board Ape Yacht Club and its new token ApeCoin are going to be in a new three-part film series from crypto exchange brand Coinbase called the Degen, the Degen trilogy. Perfectly D-gen. stupid title. D-gen. Okay, Degen. Oh, D-gen. okay, I get it. D-gen. All right, yep. I get it. Yeah. I see what they did so there. You're a little, see, uh, just, you're a little outside. I'm a little the age behind. Bracket there. I'm a little behind. That. Yeah, there we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. All right. So they uh, Board Ape Yacht Club tweeted out, "We're stoked that Coinbase is making a film series featuring the uh, the Board Ape Yacht Club community. Uh, NFT holders will submit your ape for casting. Details below. Mutants, don't worry. This is the first film in a trilogy, and you'll be getting your own casting call for part two. The announcement doubled as a casting call to members of the Board Ape Yacht Club to submit their characters that they own and story ideas." Board Ape NFT owners are invited to submit their ape at the film's microsite for an opportunity to be cast in three-part adventures with ApeCoin, top secret airdrops, and oh gosh, it just just goes on. It goes on and on and on to talk about all this stuff. Uh, I you know I have I, I'm of two minds of okay, this, let's see, um, let's see but it. I want to get your take because you're no I want to hear what you have to say first because. I have a severe eye roll at this, but I want to make sure I'm not sort of just overreacting as a grumpy old guy here. Um, but tell me what you think. Honestly, it's fine. It it doesn't... It, I think it's fine that Coinbase is doing that. I think it's a fit with their brand. It's a fit with what they want to do. Uh, Board Ape, Yacht Club, it's, a, it's an extension. It absolutely, if they do this the right way, I'm assuming that Board Ape NFT holders could generate some revenues from this if they're chosen that's what i'm reading if your ape is chosen and there's 
um, you know, you get you're part of the cast, you will get royalties, right? This is so so from that standpoint, it's another utility uh, for the, the NFT owners. I'm all for that. I I'm a little concerned about Coinbase being all over the place right now, um, which. You know, if this is what they want to do with one of their content efforts, that's fine. But it seems a little, and and I don't want to put anything against it because I don't know. I'm just reading this Fast Company article. It just seems a little cobbled together to me and not part of like a long-term strategy and roadmap. Maybe for for the apes it is. I don't know about for Coinbase whether this makes sense. But I think it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. We'll see if it's good. But I can really see, I guess, when I read this whole thing through, Robert, I'm like, I hope they get some really good storytellers to write this thing. Because it could really, because that's the core of it. It's fine that you have pictures of apes and they're taken from the NFTs, but you've got to have a story to tell. So what's the story going to be? Well, that's, so, so last I think it was last week we talked about a little bit about this, or the two weeks ago we talked about this with regard to the burger uh, joint. Yeah. And one of the concerns that I had was that it would be, at some point, someone would launch a project that could threaten the brand of Board Ape Yacht Club sort of more holistically. And that the challenge with being a fractionalized owner of something that everybody has IP rights to is that somebody can come in and spoil the pool for the whole party, right? Somebody can come in and pee in the pool, as it were, and really lower. So if these films are not good, or if these films, you know, and the challenge I have is, does the submitter, the crowdsource, right, the owner of a bored ape, ostensibly have the right to limit and or... Uh, have input into the creativity of the story being told. In other words, let's say I, I, I submit my character, one of my icons, to be as part of this film, and they come back and they go, yeah, your character's going to not only be the villain, but is going to get killed off in the first episode. And you go, what? what? You know, because now you've just decreased the value of that particular board ape by, you know, because they can't, you know, if you're building a universe here, you can't, you know, you can't use that character anymore. They were killed off. And so it, it decreased, it, it, the, the risk is, is that you decrease the value of any one ape by r- ruining it for, you know, the, the story. I think this provides for a very complex situation for if I'm an ape owner, and especially one that doesn't get selected, because the other, of course, flip side of that is, is that everybody that's in the movie, their ape goes up, uh, you know, exponentially in price but nobody else's does and so or the movie is horrible and the brand suffers and everybody goes ah this is stupid and you know there's a real there's a real less than zero chance here that coinbase actually does very well with this in terms of its content marketing efforts but that board ape actually you know suffers from it and i think it's just it's you know i I think I fall into your camp where I say there's nothing wrong with it inherently. I I, I don't see. I just see so much risk here. Um, but that's the risk that, of an NFT project. That I has, suppose. Yeah, has I suppose. This I, way. I, you if know, you're giving out, the, maybe I'm just overthinking it. I'm, maybe I'm overthinking. it. I think it. maybe we we don't know yet. We don't have enough data to know. But honestly, the I believe the way that you get the 
you know, the licensing rights for your board ape. You could you could have somebody from outside that doesn't even own a board ape. We talked about this a couple episodes ago. They could do they could go out and reach out to ten board ape yacht club owners and do their own thing. Doesn't even have to be affiliated. Right. So and that so that could be the upside and the downside. I think that's all priced in. I don't think it it matters. I think if you come out with some snoozers, like for example, if that restaurant owner would have done poorly, I don't think it would have made any impact at all on the the floor price of a board ape yacht club. That uh, personally, I think it's I think the, there's a premium put in because everyone has rights to do whatever they want with it. Great. But it's not it's a smaller premium. It's not a huge premium like we would think. Sometimes I think it's okay for a little centralized decentralized where you have a leader with a vision and a strategy that can work with the NFT owners to make something better. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's yeah. I th- so I So that's why DAOs know, by the way, that's why DAOs can be wonderful and also scare me to death. Yeah. Because it's decentralized when everybody has an opinion, governance. everybody has an opinion. Yeah. It's, it's basically and that's why somebody this was I don't know a month ago, Robert. Somebody said, "Oh, I think I want to launch a, a DAO, and I've got all these ideas and things to do." I said, "Hey, hey, hold on here. That's great. You can have all these ideas, but if you're going to launch a DAO and you're going to give everyone, let's say, equal ownership, including you, then you have to vote on all this stuff. You can't just right. launch this stuff. It's up to the community." So that's right. Yeah. So that's so that's where sometimes I would almost say. That if you're going to do something, launch something as an LLC first, as your own business, and then get it to a point where you like where it at, where it's at, and, and then you can back off and create, turn it into a DAO. I think that's a better way to go. But whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fascinating stuff. I, I I will be following this very closely because it 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 sparks all my interest, which is content marketing, of course, media you know, this NFT world and, and brand, I, I just think it, it, it's such a, a great, interesting experiment here. And, you know, I guess I shouldn't poo poo it as much as I am, or it feels like I am because I should, I should just be, I should be happy and grateful that somebody's taking the experiment here. But, you know, and by the way, you know, for the most part, when we see who owns the board Ape Yacht Club, it's people who can afford for the investment to go to zero, like it's not going to be a big deal. Like if Paris Hilton or Jimmy Fallon or, you know, those people's investment into a board ape goes to zero. But, you know, there are people who I'm sure bought in early and have, you know, put in real effort here. And, you know, it's, I, 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 I do, I'm concerned, I guess, about their risk, but like you say, this is, this is it. This is what, this is what the new world is in this particular case. So, We'll see. We, we will see. And I think a lot of I, w- I would yeah. imagine a lot. And you can ch- obviously you can find this information out. But a lot of the people have been in it from from very close to the beginning. When it from was from a couple hundred bucks to five ETH, and now I that's believe right. the floor is around one hundred and eleven ETH. Though, so, so they, that's pretty darn good return. Yeah. yeah. All in all, that's so, that's good. And who, so who that's are we really to, cr- to criticize? And, yeah. They're well, doing very, maybe very they'll well start selling. Yeah. The, maybe they'll start. Maybe they'll use this as a selling. You know, as a selling uh, opportunity. Um, all right. Uh, moving on to our next story here, a really interesting one here, uh, and especially uh, what we'll link to in the show notes is an article from Business Insider because it has the most <laughs> ridiculous but perfect image of Zuckerberg uh, interacting with his own avatar. 
um it's just it's just frames up though it's so creepy and so weird and so perfect all at the same time the headline here is that Meta will charge creator fees of up to 47.5% to sell virtual wares in its metaverse. Um, the article opens up by saying Meta will charge creator fees uh, about half, uh, 47.5% to sell virtual wares in its metaverse, significantly more than Apple charges developers on its app store. In a blog post Monday, Meta said it's testing virtual sales inside the metaverse platform Horizon Worlds. It said creators will be able to sell things like fashion accessories for users' avatars and exclusive access to parts of their customized virtual worlds. Meta and its CEO, Mark Zuckerberg, have previously criticized Apple for charging developers a 30% fee for in-app purchases via the App Store. Zuckerberg said in a Facebook post in November that Meta was making changes to help Metaverse creators evade Apple's App Store fees. As he said at the time, as we build the Metaverse, we're focusing on unlocking opportunities for creators to make money for their work. The 30% fees that Apple's take on transactions make it harder to do that, so we're updating our subscriptions products so that now creators can earn more. Meta charges a platform fee of 30% for sales made on MetaQuest, its virtual reality system, which was formerly known as Oculus. On top of that, Horizon World's Metaverse system will charge a 25% sales fee. This means that Meta will be taking a cut of up to 47.5% from the sale price, leaving the seller with 52.5%. A Meta spokesperson confirmed to Business Insider that that math was correct. So basically, if somebody sells an item for a dollar, the, the MetaQuest store would be $0.30, cents and the Horizon platform fee would be 17%, leaving 53% of the creator before any applicable taxes. That is a lot of money. Um, the article goes on to basically provide a little more detail there. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, again, this is one of those things where, you know, it's 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 hard to argue that because there is a, isn't a corollary at the moment to be able to compare this to, but this feels like, Facebook meta shooting itself again in the foot before it even launches something to say, here's all the reasons you shouldn't do this. Um, uh, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it as a marketing strategy, as a product strategy or anything. I mean, what do you think? It it reminds me, Robert, of when we were all, when I was in publishing and it was, everything was print. And then all of a sudden we had this digital thing that we had to sell as well. And you had all these print salespeople that then had to learn how to sell digital space. And there's just there was just a huge disconnect. And it was that way for years. These were salespeople that were selling one thing one way for 20 years, and then all of a sudden they're like, I gotta sell digital? Is it branding? Is it lead gen? How does it work? What am I measuring? All kinds of stuff, right? This is very similar where you have Meta, who may be the king or one of the leaders of the web two movement moving into web three and using the same types of numbers that were used in web two. Cause they, what do they do as comparison? They're comparing what YouTube is doing. They're comparing what Apple is doing. And of course, if you look at what's happening in the web two environment right now and what creators are getting, you're like, Oh yeah, over 50% is great. But if you take it into a decentralized environment or at least somewhat decentralized environment, which is what we're trying to, to do here with web three, I think this is the silliest thing that they could have done because you yeah. already have pushback because you have big meta that a lot of creators don't want to work with. So if they would have come in and said, you know what? We'll charge you almost nothing just to get started, which it, they should have done. Yeah. Let, let people yeah, start using exactly the right. platform. And then ultimately this number is going to be like three to 5%. 
And would you, and, and you would have thought, you know, I mean, look, the, the movie that came out about the launch and, and growth of Facebook, you know, aside, right, you know, how truthful it was or how accurate it was and all of that sort of thing. And I mean, you know, certainly Peter Thiel is no Justin Timberlake, let's put it that way. Um, that, wasn't, that wasn't his character. That was... Um, no. Oh, you're right. It's um, the other guy. Um, uh, the, the Justin Timberlake's character was the guy from Napster. Sean that's right. Yeah, Parker. that's uh, Sean, Sean Parker. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I got that wrong. And yeah, um, Justin Timberlake, by the way, he could, if, if I was ever to have somebody play my part, Justin Timberlake could absolutely play my, my do my life story. He's allowed to do that. I won't even charge anything for it. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> all right. All right. You're, 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 you're a Timberlake fan. I love I JT. It. I love JT. All right. Okay. Anyways, well, what were you saying? Went you off totally the rails. Anyway, the yeah, so what I was going to say thing. is based on the accuracy of that, I don't know how accurate it was, but one of the things that has been, you know, a legend about the way that, that Mark started Facebook was to resist the urge to monetize it before it was a thing, right? Before he had a critical audience. And, you know, and, and it's, it's, a, it's one of the through lines of the, the, the movie is his continual resistance to monetize it at all yes. until they got, you know, until they, until they got point. to a critical point, you know. And so you, you would think if anybody was going to sort of launch this new idea into the world of a metaverse, he would be the first one to say, let's not monetize this until we get critical mass. But this is, it doesn't seem to be what's happening. Is it's like they they seem to be monetizing it, you know, in a very draconian way from the get go. Sometimes you forget because you've built this thing and you think you've done all the work already, and you don't realize this is a new thing. It's a new product and a new market. A great targeting point. new yep. people. And you're right. If they would have taken that and said, "Let's just go in. We have a lot to learn. We don't even know if this product is the right product yet. Let's just get people using it, and we'll learn." And that's how the Facebook became Facebook became more than just college people became what it is today yeah. because they just let it go for a long, long time and learned and learned and learned. And then they had a great product at the end of the day. It's too bad that somebody didn't remind them. This is how we launched Facebook in yeah. the first place. Such a wonderful point. Yeah. And we'll see if they walk this back. I, I, I would predict my prediction will be that they'll walk this back, that they'll, that they'll ultimately walk some of this back in order, you know, to, in order to, uh, in order to get some creators in yeah. there, you know, they make they may enter, they may say, well, there's a special tier for startups, or there's a special tier for small businesses that don't have to pay this. That you know, only the big brands are going to have to pay this. You know, that kind of thing. They're they're they. I I expect them to to walk some of this back in some yeah. form or fashion because this just seems foolhardy. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, you're right. This is they. I guess they didn't realize that this metaverse thing is a different animal altogether because all the in this article everything they're talking about is doing the comparisons with what's been in web 2 for the last 20 years yeah so hmm. interesting i hope they do walk it back or they're never going to get anybody on there yeah that's right that's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, let's cover our last story here. Uh, we are moving through this very, very quickly and agilely, as it were. Uh, agilely? Is that a word? It is today. It is. it is today. Agile-y. It is going to be today. I like that. Agilely. We're going to move agilely That's around. a really good name for a, Making a, vab- a web two business. Making a agile. Yeah. Agilely. The so- agilely. Your software that's going to help you do your job better, have agilely. you feeling better every day. 
Conquer the world the agilely. Do you, or, du- do you double the L? Is it A G I L L Y or is it A G I L E L Y? I don't know, but I first thought it was a software, but now I'm thinking it's probably a prescription drug. And, and I'll I, bet you there's an agile dot L Y. Ooh. Ooh. Agilely. Agilely. There you go. Startup name. All right. Okay. Anyway, let's move on to our last story here, which is uh, also going to come to us courtesy of Axios. It is apparently, as the headline says, Gen Z's new favorite app. Uh, Be Real downloads by month. And the chart as it shows it uh, is that starting in December 2021, you had 478,000 downloads. And then as of March of 2022, 2.1 million downloads per month. And then as of April 6th, which is when this uh, story broke, 737,000 downloads, which puts it on track to really, really um, blow through that 2.1 million number. Uh, downloads of Be Real, Gen Z's hot news... <laughs> Every time I read that, I think of the Saturday Night Live thing, you know, be real, Gen Z's hot new social app. It's got everything you want from. <laughs> that, is you that what I'm Pete talking Davidson? about? No, it's the, it's, uh, uh, it's the guy who plays Barry. Um, he used to do the oh, thing on Saturday Night Live yes. where, the, where he would say, New York's hottest nightclub yes. has everything you want. Anyway, Gen Z's hot new social media app has skyrocketed in recent months, giving the world's mobile first generation a new way to connect through work or school. Uh, why it matters? Well, because with so many apps fighting to get even a small sliver of Gen Z's attention, Be Real has pulled ahead by getting users to not overthink what they post. Kind of love that. Basically, the way it works is that Be Real encourages users to spend send one post each day to their friends to show exactly what they're doing in real time. In a push toward authenticity, the app snaps photos from the photo's front and back camera simultaneously, showing where you are and what you're doing at the same time. Because users have to send posts within two minutes of being randomly timed notification, they don't have time to make any fancy adjustments, so the app doesn't include any photo editing tools. A user who misses the two-minute window can upload a picture later, but followers will be notified that they didn't post in real time. Users can't view their friends' pictures until they've uploaded their own, forcing them to participate daily instead of lurking. That's just a fascinating paradigm all the way around. What do you think about this app? Have you tried it yet? I've not tried it. I feel like... I don't know if I want to. It's a little scary, actually. Uh, I, I do want to know. It's definitely though, not targeted to our. I mean, it's definitely not our age. No, bracket, but you right? know, but, but it's interesting. Uh, it intrigues but remember, me. Remember, remember when years ago, when I thought, when especially when Snap was getting into the goggles and doing the whole thing, and I just thought it was the most ridiculous model, and I said short the stock and all that stuff, and then yeah. I started to watch specifically when my youngest son was using it, and it was all about the streaks. He had all these streaks going on with it, and then I'm like, oh my god, I get it. Like, they want to be on every day because they want to keep these streaks going. This is very similar to that. They want to keep these things going every day. You have to do it. You have to post it. It's kind of a, kind of new thinking. I don't know. I'll have to check with uh, with my kids and see if this is actually a thing since they're both Gen Z. But I do want to point out, Robert, that these download numbers, while impressive looking, are eerily similar to that of Clubhouse, which you yes. loathe. So, I, do. <laughs> I do. So you love. don't. We don't know funny. what this what? is. We don't know. Uh, yeah, we don't know. We have we have zero idea if this is actually going to last or to, or take off. I, I will, however, I, I do like it. Um, it. Just my my gut reaction is going. Ah, oh, that's that's an interesting take, right? It's a it's a really interesting take in terms of 
capturing some of the zeitgeist of, of the young people's need and want to share their lives and what's going on and sort of this idea of authenticity and you know being real and and all of that i think it's it could be a fun thing yeah. it's a you know a a, a a more fun and wholesome you know it's it's because it's less about news and less about posting you know um sort of disinformation or misinformation and that sort of thing so it could be a fun kind of thing uh, i i i my my initial reaction is is a positive one so so you know that but but your point is a is a really well, good one which is who knows who who knows where this it goes. is interesting be real as, as you mentioned be real ranked fourth in downloads in the u.s uk and france for q1 after instagram snapchat and pinterest that is impressive my yeah. the concern that i have is what you pointed out as well is you have the majority like take tiktok for example 99.9 percent of the people that engage in tiktok are lurkers they just are watching. They're just That's engaging right. in it. You have very, very few creators. This one is saying that everyone is a creator. You you all you yeah. have to create in order to open up the content from your friends. That's, that's a tough. Right. That's a tough call for a lot of people that that just want to. I see can what's imagine. Going on. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you got to be willing to participate before you yeah. can actually. It's a really interesting concept, right? You have to be willing to participate before you can actually see what your friends are doing, which. It, it it equalizes things in some ways, right? Because in order to see what I'm doing, you're going to have to show me what you're doing, which meets the, I guess, the the mission of the brand. But it's you know, it, it's it. I think it's a fascinating experiment. We'll see. We'll see what happens here. It could also go completely sideways, right? You know, with people, you know, you know, I could see it disrupting classrooms. I could see it dis, you know, disrupting all kinds of things where people are like, you know, oh, I got to take my picture in two minutes, you know, so they got to stop in the middle of the street or they got to stop in the middle of a class or, you know, something like that, which is... It gets into the, in the, the tens of millions of downloads, which it's on track for in the next three months. Yes, it's going to get really interesting to see what happens. You can see it on the news, you know. Right. Somebody who just downloaded Be Real had to take his picture right. in the middle of the street. Right, and and got hit by a yeah. car, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to our rants and raves section because... Uh, Why not? Weirdly, uh, with all these stories, we're right on time, um, as we, as we uh, never are. But uh, this is the part of the show that is empirically your favorite part of the show, of course, which is our rants and raves section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we're going to buy Twitter. Or something that makes us feel like we're going to sell Twitter. Um, let's. Uh, you want me to go first, or you want to I'll go, go first? first. You, Mine's, you got a, you got a commentary. A commentary. Um, I just thought it was funny and it's interesting and hopefully a little bit helpful to our audience out there. So I gave it an in-person, believe it or not, an in-person presentation this week to a uh, marketing group of B two B marketers in the construction and architecture field. It was great, nice small group of people. It was wonderful. I did my you know, seven steps to build a loyal audience presentation. I focused on B2B examples, which is always my favorite to talk about. I think it's just the most interesting kind. And uh, after the presentation was done, so I, I spoke for about 30, 35 minutes or so, and then I was taking questions. And the first person said, well, the biggest impact on me was your first slide. That was really got me, and I'm I'm thinking, oh my god, I, I could have just thrown up the first slide and have been done. I did I just waste wasted thirty minutes? What was the first slide? And said, this is the one that hit me, and I love this one, and it's a great reminder 
for everyone. And the and my first slide is always think about this. If you stopped creating your content right now, would your customers notice? So if you stop creating and distributing your your content, your content marketing, whatever you create, whatever you distribute to your customers, and then stop that, would they even notice? And we had a long conversation about that, Robert, actually, because most of the people in that room, which were where they were wonderfully honest with themselves, and they all said no. You know, their blogs, their podcasts, their YouTube videos, their newsletters, everything they're doing, if they stop producing that kind of information, their customers probably wouldn't notice at all. And that's where we really get into a nice conversation and brainstorming about, well, what do we need to really do to first focus on the audience's needs and desires? And second of all, really create some kind of a differentiation so that we can break through all that clutter and people will remember us so that we can build a loyal audience so that they will know, like, and trust us so we can, they can ultimately buy stuff from us because that's what we want them to do. But we want to do it the right way. So I just thought that that was interesting that Aww. that that hit so many. Yeah, it was really it was really wonderful. I'm actually thinking about changing the presentation up a little bit more and focusing on that because I never realized how much that does. Like when you really honestly look at that, I think you you you've done some of this. I think a little bit in your content audits where you're just trying to push the marketers a little bit and have them think not like a marketer but like an audience member, or like a customer. It's very hard to do that when you're in a marketer's position and say, would your customers really want to get this stuff you're putting in front of them? Probably right. not. Well, yeah. we need to rethink the way that we communicate. So that was my... Yeah. Well, it's the whole, you know, I mean, I often, uh, you know, as you've, as uh, as we've all talked about before, but one of the things that I used to challenge and still do challenge my classes as well as my clients with is the whole question of like, you know, if you stopped publishing everything today, who would miss it, yes. right? You know, and, 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 you know, that's, if, if you're not getting a phone call saying, you know, I mean, what, not to toot our own horn. I, I really don't, I don't mean this this way, but, but. I we've seen it firsthand. When we stopped doing this podcast, we got letters, we got notes saying we miss you. Yes, and that's how we knew we were doing something that was worth doing. Was because you know there were you know not not thousands of letters, but certainly you know tens, if not a hundred letters over the course of the year that we were off, saying really miss you guys. Really you know hope you'll bring it back or you know really you know all those yeah things, you used to was, send them to me all the time you'd say hey Polizzi, yeah. look, we got another yeah. one you idiot <laughs> right when are you yeah. gonna change which your you mind? never saw because of course you were taking your electronics holiday so you never would see it so yeah True. um all right i have a very quick one uh this is a rant for sure uh it is so i'm surfing around and and one of the sites that i really like uh of course is marketing dive right which is a great site um, uh, for marketing news and, and, and all the things and, and basically provides us with great stories for this show, et cetera. And they had, there was a, an article and I saw the headline and the headline was new global research finds that people are increasingly comfortable with sharing their data. As you might expect, that got my attention. Um, and I went, Oh, really? Is that really true? Do, do, and so I was very curious about this, click into it. And sure enough, it's a sponsored article. Uh, sponsored by Axiom, and so <laughs> immediately, aha! My that was my aha moment. Uh, I read the article, and the article's fine. It's a little 
like heady, I guess, because it starts with the, the, the digital revolution has been dramatically enhanced by people's ability to enjoy their human rights as defined by the United Nations. It's a hell of a way to open up an article about, you know, data and marketing. But, you know, the article goes on basically to cite uh, research being done uh, that was that was recently published called the Global Data Privacy: What the Consumer Really Thinks, uh, which is a research report, and it's presented as being in its fourth iteration, the second update, blah blah blah, uh, and it's a long-term partnership between Axiom and the GDMA. And I was like, oh, I've never heard of the GDMA. What is the GDMA? So I go and research the GDMA and their research. And it seems to be this collection of organizations around the world, um, all of them part of the, wait for it, Direct Marketing Association, or in the United States as part, the ANA, the Advertising uh, uh, Association of National Advertisers, which of course acquired the Direct Marketing Association uh, that was here in the U.S., which is why it's one of the only ones that's not part of the DMA. So... Yeah, I mean, ostensibly the GDMA is basically the global the global direct marketing association, although they now call themselves the global data marketing association, and so that if it doesn't send up red flags for you already in terms of the point of view they're going to have about privacy, it should. Because, of course, they are the ones, this is the groups that are fighting for being able to use data as they, as they want to. So it's not a surprise. And I have to, I guess, applaud the strategy in some faces because it's a content marketing strategy. It's a, it's, it is, they are doing classic content marketing things by creating their own organization, not unlike a content marketing institute. They're just calling it the GDMA with all of these people who are now part of it, who are part of other organizations. So it's a, you know, it's a loose affiliation of, of, of executives from around the world. Um, I do note that there's not a U.S. representative. There is a, the ANA is part of the U.S. Uh, uh, membership, but they don't have anybody named as part of the association or a part of the group. And what they do, the only thing they do is it seemingly put out sort of content-oriented resources that really celebrate the idea of why consumers really love sharing their data with brands. You know, again, I can't complain because it's great content marketing, but at the same time, you have to go, okay, this is not, you know, know, there is a difference of opinion here, I guess, on, on what is actually good thought leadership in this particular case. Um, and so I, I call attention to it, I guess, only to say content marketing is, we, all, we often think about content marketing as sort of this, oh, it's always great because everybody's talking about unicorns and love and harmony and all those sorts of things. And we have to recognize that people can use it for other kinds of information as, as well. Now, I'm not suggesting that their study is flawed or, or, you know, or anything about their information is false. What I'm suggesting is, is that I vehemently disagree with this point of view. I'm currently in the middle of reading through all of their research, um, and I'm finding it a little suspect in the way that they ask their questions, but I don't really have a comment on that. But it's just, uh, it's just yet another sort of flag out there to say, hey, you know, are the, the people that we don't agree with are also doing this in a smart way too. Yeah. It makes you, boy, there's, there's all sorts of strategies out there, right? And yeah. You just have to, you know, 
everybody's creating content, distributing in a different way, and uh, sometimes you don't have to agree with them, but they're doing it anyways. So there you go. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Interesting. All right. Interesting find, sir. Yeah. So well, what's going you know, on? Uh, it caught my eye. What's going on with you here for the weekend? It's all. It's 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 all content. I'm in a I'm in a writing sort of flurry right now. I've got uh, I've got blog posts to write. I've got a research report to write. I've got client work to do. It's uh, I'm in the middle of writing stuff and trying to get outside a little bit because it's just absolutely spectacular here. So we're going to get out for Easter and go have a lovely Easter dinner um, this weekend and all of that. And you? Yes, we're spending time with family this weekend. Uh, Other than that, you know what I'm doing. We've got 17, 18 days until Creator Economy Expo. And, yeah, uh, I get to play a little more. Now, I know as, this, as, as, as it we're, turns we're out. updating the agenda. Mr. Robert Rose has a, has a has a session now on audience development, so that's awesome. And uh, and actually, you and I are going to be doing a special guest appearance for our never ending ticket holders. We're working on all the benefits for uh, for our NFT holders and we're having a lot of fun doing that. And actually, getting some interest in it. It's interest as, as you. <laughs> As you add more benefits, it's interesting to see how many more people are interested. Go figure. Funny how that, funny how that works. But yes. yeah, that's what I'm doing, heads down, and it's amazing. In three weeks, it'll be done. But I'm looking forward to getting out there to Arizona and seeing a lot of our friends and seeing all the work that the team's put together uh, you know, come to fruition. I am, too. I'm, I'm actually uh, getting more and more excited about it um, a- as we move forward and you know, and getting to hang out with the, some fun, fun It'll people. It'll be fun. Um, It'll be, you know what? It'll be yeah. different because it's basically all people who are content creators, content entrepreneurs. These are not, you know, big marketers. These are all people doing the same thing we're doing, trying to figure this thing out. So that's it'll right. be fun. It'll, it should be. It should that's be, right. It should be a party. And Learning I'm party. looking forward. I'm looking forward to the debate over whether CEX is pronounced Kex, Sex, or Checks. So there's. Yeah, yeah, did you, you did you see the T-shirts that came out? I did. They're fantastic. Yeah, we had some we had some fun because we didn't really realize it at first. But yeah, there's been some discussion about the CEX. You know, I pronounce it CEX, but there's some people that said, "Is it sex?" So that we the team has some fun T-shirts playing on that. So it'll be yeah. Which by the yeah. way, people said they wanted to buy right away. So we threw them up in the merch store, and we're starting to sell those things. So who knew? <laughs> who knew? Crazy. Who knew? Crazy who how this knew? works. Who knew? Put a good product out there and people will buy it. Who Ooh. knew? Who who could figure that out? All right. We are signing off. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to get all the goodness of this podcast, show notes, or dive into any of the other 318 episodes, why don't you just get on over to our website at thisoldmarketing.site? Also remember, folks, uh, hashtag us up on the Twitter. We love those story ideas. One of the things that I forgot to do was, of course, to give a good hat tip to two of the stories that came out today. So big hat tip to Alex Chambers, who's at high underscore under, well, he has the most complex Twitter handle, underscore high underscore Alex underscore on Twitter. So go follow Alex. He gave us a great story last week. And of course, Joe Bagonis, uh, at the Bagonis. Was there another Bagonis on Twitter, Joe? Um, I don't know. But anyway, he's at <laughs> the Joe Bagonis or the Bagonis on Twitter. So go follow him as well. Great story ideas. Do hashtag us up, won't you, on the Twitter? Because we love those story ideas. Makes my job a lot easier. Uh, And also, questions, anything you was on your mind. And until we meet again next week, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.